As I've mentioned uh, previously, uh, once a month I'm going to step away from the Gospel of Luke and um, preach on one of the Psalms. And so this uh, Psalm 8 is a request from the congregation. I must say that Psalm 8 has become a favorite of mine. If it is not already, I hope it will become precious to you this morning. Let's pray together. Our Father and our God, we thank you for Psalm 8 because it is a revelation of your uh, immense majesty uh, that is beyond our uh, searching out, is beyond our comprehending. And so I pray that your Spirit would help us to um, be able to comprehend uh, your great majesty, fill our hearts Stretch our brains, fill our souls with um, your glory, we ask in Jesus' name, amen. Well, as I mentioned in the prayer, Psalm 8 is a psalm of God's majesty. It was pretty easy for me to figure this out. Uh, You look at verse 1, verse 1 says, I will give, I'm sorry, I'm looking at verse, at uh, Psalm 9. Uh, verse 1, O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. And then you turn over to verse 9, and verse 9 says, O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. So that's a pretty big clue about the subject matter. Uh, with verse 1 and verse 9 bookending the, the psalm, I don't need to be a rocket scientist to figure out that everything in between these bookends is about the majesty of God. Psalm 8 wants us to um, consider the majesty of God from several different perspectives or standpoints. It wants us to slowly walk around the psalm and look at the different facets of God's majesty. It wants us to consider God's supremacy. It wants us to consider His grandeur and His power that we would be enamored with Him. But understand that this psalm, this sermon, will not be technical. It won't be theoretical. In each glance that we look at at God's majesty, Psalm 8 displays how God causes His majesty to be sweet blessings to His children. So, let's begin. Uh, First of all, Psalm 8 wants us to consider God's majesty from the standpoint of the vastness of creation. Look at the second half of verse 1. It says, you have set your glory above the heavens. The heavens here in this verse are not talking about uh, the heavens where the angels live, where we'll go uh, after we die. Rather, the heavens here in uh, verse 1 is the universe, the totality of created reality. This past November... NASA announced that the Voyager 2 
just left our solar system and is entered into uh, interstellar space. Voyager 2 took off in 1977. It has been traveling through our solar system ever since until it finally crossed the heliosphere. Now, what's most exciting about this is that the Voyager 2 is still able to send data back to the Earth, even though it has left the solar system. Voyager 2 is over, uh, is over 11 billion miles away from the earth. The information that it sends takes 16 and a half hours to reach the earth, even though the data is traveling at the speed of light. How fast is the speed of light? 186,000 miles per second. Our solar system is vast. But our solar system is only one small system in our galaxy. Someone has said that if the Milky Way uh, galaxy were the size of the entire continent of North America, so that includes not only the United States, but also Canada and Mexico and the other countries in Central America, if If the Milky Way galaxy were the size of the entire continent of North America, our solar system would fit inside a cup of coffee. Our galaxy, or in our galaxy, NASA estimates that there are over 100 billion solar systems. And of course, our galaxy is not only... Um, the only galaxy in the universe. Astronomers tell us that there are over 200 billion galaxies in the universe. I'm no physicist, I'm no astronomer, um, but uh, to take their word for it, it simply means that our universe is beyond our comprehending. Uh, the, the, the scientists tell us that there are more stars in the universe then there are grains of sand on the earth. How do you get your mind wrapped around those kinds of numbers? Or consider this. There is one particular star named Betelgeuse. Why would anybody name a star Betelgeuse? You know, I guess these astronomers are are truly nerds. And so... They enjoyed the the movie Betelgeuse, I guess. I don't know. But they named this star Betelgeuse. This star is 527 light years away from Earth. And you can see Betelgeuse with the naked eye. It's part of the Orion constellation. Why can we see it even though it is so far away? It's because this star is so big. It's twice the size of Earth's orbit around the sun. That is big. That makes our sun seem puny in comparison. Can you imagine the energy produced by this star? Look again at verse 1. The second half of verse 1. You have set your glory above the heavens. God's glory 
is above the heavens. It's above the universe. God's glory and majesty exceeds all the combined glory of the stars, of the solar systems, of the galaxies that are in our universe. Psalm 19 verse 1 says, The heavens declare the glory of God, and the sky proclaims His handiwork. God uses the glory of His creation to teach us about the glory that He has in Himself. God wants us to be awed by His creation so that we would look beyond the creation and get a better idea of the fullness of God's majesty. Uh, Just a little note here that I did not include in my notes in verse 3. It uh, it says, when I look at your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place. It doesn't mention the sun. And I think the reason is, is David who wrote this psalm was probably sitting out at night. um, Maybe as a shepherd, maybe as a king sitting out and looking at the night sky. So he wouldn't see the sun, but he sees the moon. He sees the vast stars. Um, in the Milky Way. You know, they didn't have electricity like, like we have. They didn't have the light pollution that we have. Um, when I was in Uganda uh, a couple of years ago, uh, what, three or four years ago now, um, we went out to a city and they had electricity, but the, um, the uh, electric plant, is not able to feed the whole country. So they rotate which regions of Uganda have, have um, electricity. And so all of a sudden, the, the electricity goes out for 24 hours. And that was kind of disappointing because I was finally at a place where I, I could, uh, it had internet and I could FaceTime Mandy. And then the, 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 um, the electricity went out and I couldn't, FaceTimer anymore, disappointed, but I got to see the night sky without any electricity, without any light pollution. Wow, amazing. And so David, looking at the night sky and just um, marveling, the heavens declare the glory of God. The sky above proclaims His handiwork. God wants us to be awed by His creation. But John Piper very wisely says that creation is the mere backside of God's glory. We are not seeing the fullness of God's glory when we look at God's creation. But, uh, like Moses in the cleft of the rock, seeing the mere backside, so to speak, of God's glory. Jonathan Edwards likens the glory of creation to shadows. But God is the substance. Are you feeling pretty small right now compared to our universe? God is bigger than the universe. His glory is above the heavens. God created that gigantic star, that Beetlejuice, with but a word. So great, 
so glorious, so majestic is our God. Psalm 8 moves beyond the vastness of the universe to the opposite. He moves to the universal symbol or a universal symbol of weakness, babies and infants. Psalm 8 wants us to consider God's majesty from the standpoint of the weakness of infants. God's majesty is not only out there above the heavens. His majesty is displayed in the weakness of babies and infants. Remember, this is Hebrew poetry we are reading. We're not reading a systematic theology here. So what David is doing is he is causing us to be surprised by the irony. He moves from God being above the heavens to us seeing God's majesty in the praise and the strength of babies and infants. In verses 4 and 5, what, what David is doing is showing us that God is so full of majesty that He is able to defeat His enemies through the weakness of babies and infants. So look at verse 2. Uh, I think I mentioned verses 4 and 5. I meant to say verse 2. Verse 2, be gracious... Sorry, I keep looking at different psalms. Uh, verse 2, Out of the mouth of babies and infants, you have established strength because of your foes to still the enemy and the avenger. We should not understand that God is using literal babies and infants to conquer His foes. Um, again, this is, this is poetry. is able to display His majesty in, these in, in the strength of these infants and babies. But there are two lessons here in verse 2 that we should not overlook, overlook. First, this verse certainly suggests that very small children, even infants and babies, can be saved much earlier than we might realize. Every child that has ever been born, I want to make it clear, every child that has ever been born, except for our Lord Jesus Christ, has been born as a sinner because of the guilt of Adam's sin charged to our account. Every child that is ever born is born alienated from God. Every child that's ever born needs to be converted to the Lord Jesus Christ in order to be saved. Now, if someone wants to quibble over John the Baptist because he was filled with the Holy Spirit from his mother's womb, that's fine. Uh, but I stand by my statement that every child that was born was born a sinner, alienated from God. But I believe this passage teaches that babies and infants can be converted to Christ by hearing the Word of God read to them in their home. I believe babies and infants can be converted to Christ by hearing their parents pray for them and pray for their soul to be converted. I believe infants and children, as they are beginning to understand um, words and hear about the love of Jesus, that at a very early age, that they can come to know Jesus Christ. You may have heard me. In fact, I think I prayed last Sunday for Georgina. 
that uh, she would not be able to remember a day apart from Christ because she would be converted at such an early age, that she would come to know and love her Savior. And I think this, is, this seems to be what Jesus is praying in Matthew chapter 11, verse 25, when he says, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding and revealed them to little children. Parents, read the scriptures with your children. Parents, pray with and for your children. Parents, teach your children to participate in the worship of God. One of the great blessings that uh, we have in our worship service are certain elements that we use week by week. We don't do this just for, for, um, for tradition's sake. We use the Lord's Prayer. Our Lord Jesus taught us to, uh, to pray that prayer Um, But we also, in a very practical sense, use it almost every week in order that the children may participate. Parents, teach your children the Lord's Prayer. Teach your children the doxology. Teach your children the Apostles' Creed. Teach your children to participate in worship because in so doing, they are hearing the Word of God, which is able to save their souls. There's a second lesson we should learn from this verse. That is, worship is powerful. The strength of the babies and infants that's spoken of here in verse 2 is used to defeat God's enemies. And the strength here that these infants have likely comes from their praise of God. In Matthew chapter 21, when the blind and the lame were coming to Jesus, it's a great picture uh, if, you, if you let your mind um, think about what's happening here. The blind and the lame, they're coming to Jesus, and Jesus is healing them in the temple. Meanwhile, there are all these little children that are about around and about in the temple. And as they're watching Jesus heal all the lame and the blind and the sick, the children begin singing. And they begin singing, Hosanna to the Son of David. The chief priests and the scribes become indignant at what is happening in the temple. And they say to Jesus, do you hear what these children are saying? And Jesus answered them by paraphrasing Psalm 8. He says, yes, have you never read out of the mouth of infants and nursing babies you have prepared praise? And so the strength of these infants that is able to defeat their enemies... To able to defeat God's enemies is their praise of God. So it appears that the strength of the babies and infants is their worship of God. There is a strength that we receive when we worship the true and living God. When we look outside ourselves to God, when we join our hearts together as a congregation in prayer, when we hear the promises of God proclaimed in the midst of His people, when we receive encouragement from fellow believers, our soul is strengthened 
for our pursuit of Christ. Our soul is strengthened against temptation. Our soul becomes more sensitive to the Word of God. The world, as we worship God, becomes to be less attractive to us. Worship is important for each and every Christian. For the infants and babies and for the oldest among us. Now conversely, if you are simply going through the motions in worship, you are very likely only going through the motions in your Christian life and in your walk with God. By God's grace, give it your all when you come to worship. Psalm 8 moves abruptly from talking about babies and infants praising God back to a consideration of God's creation in verses 3 and 4. So verses 3 and 4, When I look at your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place, what is man that you are mindful of him, and the son of man that you care for him? Notice that David did not have a western secular mindset about the universe. David calls the heavens your heavens in speaking of God's heavens. He says, the heavens are the work of your fingers, O God. David says that God put the moon and the stars in place. You know, I think we do well to adopt a similar mindset and mode of speaking uh, in opposition to the habit of our culture that speaks only in naturalistic and God-ignoring terms. I think we, as Christians, should be bold about talking about the universe as being God's universe, the work of His fingers, His creation. Notice also that as we consider the majesty of God, we're going to necessarily shrink in our estimation of ourselves. Look at verse 5. Yet you have made him a little lower. I'm sorry, verse 4. What is man that you are mindful of him, and the son of man that you care for him? We human beings like to think too much of ourselves. Our God is infinite, eternal, unchangeable in his being, wisdom, power, holiness, justice, goodness, and truth. And yet we think that we can somehow claim some majesty for ourselves. Compared with God, we are insignificant. Isaiah chapter 40 verse 17 says that compared to God, all nations are as nothing before Him. They are accounted Him as less than nothing and emptiness. Thomas Chalmers once said that the glories of a great forest would suffer no more from the fall of a single leaf than the glories of our universe would suffer, though the globe we tread upon in all its inhabitants, you and me, should dissolve. That being said, please notice that David is not simply posing a question. Rather, he is making an exclamation. He is saying, What a God we have. Our God is higher than all creation. 
but he takes notice of little old me. Look at that last phrase of verse 4. And the Son of Man, that you care for Him. The first phrase, that you are mindful of Him. second phrase, that you care for Him. God cares for me. God cares for you. He cares so much for you that He sent His one and only Son, His beloved Son, our Lord Jesus Christ, here to earth to take on human flesh that He might suffer in our stead, that He might go to that awful cross and be sin for us so that in Him we might be the righteousness of God. Your God truly cares for you. Let's take it a little further. Let's go where the Bible goes. We're not only insignificant compared to the majesty of God. We are sinners. We never did anything prior to our conversion that would be worthy of God's notice or care. Certainly, as before our conversion, we did nothing that would, that would entitle us to be cared for God. Rather, we did just the opposite. How does Romans 5 put it? But God shows His love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. To make sure we really grasp how much God loves us, Psalm 8 wants us to consider God's majesty from the standpoint of the angels in verses 5 through 8. The language of verses 5 through 8, you'll see very readily, is derived from Genesis chapter 1, verses 5 through 8. Yet you have made him a little lower than the heavenly beings and crowned him with glory and honor. You have given him dominion over the work of your hands. You have put all things under his feet, all sheep and oxen and all the beasts of the field, the birds of the heavens, the fish of the sea, whatever passes along the paths of the seas. When God created Adam and Eve, they were considered to be a little bit lower than the angels. They were crowned with glory and honor, but they sinned. Their glory and honor were replaced with shame and with guilt. Verse 6 is very interesting. It says that all things have been placed under our feet presently. So look at verse 6. You have given him dominion over the works of your hands. You have put all things under his feet. So I want to ask you, are you ruling and reigning over all things presently? Are all things underneath your feet? Be honest. Are all things under your control and your command? Are you supreme and sovereign over all things? Of course you're not. Neither am I. I can't even get my dog to obey me. (laughs) And I won't even talk about the devil cat that my daughter gave us. Um... Her landlord would not allow cats, and so she dropped the cat off at our house. And that cat probably thinks his name is Devil Cat, because that's all that I call that cat. <laughs> I will say one word. Um, a couple of weeks ago, Mandy's watching some the Food Network or whatever, which is my cue then to fall asleep on the couch. So I'm asleep on the couch. The cat runs down the back of the couch and jumps on my head while I'm asleep. 
It dug its claws into my skull. I was bleeding. I've got this little red spot here. And I went to the dermatologist. I spent $50 on the copay and then another 130 on the medicine to see if I've got some precancerous something or another. I don't, I don't think. I think what happened was the cat scratched around in the, in the litter box and then dug those nasty claws into my head. And I think this is some infection that, that, that the devil cat gave to me. <laughs> so, can you imagine me being awakened by that? <laughs> I, wanted, I wanted to kill the cat. And I, I jumped up to go after the cat, and I rammed my knee right into the corner of a piece of furniture. I thought I'd broken my kneecap. So, I wish that that cat were underneath my feet, <laughs> literally and figuratively. You know, that cat submits to no one. Molly says that she wants the cat to be able to express herself, so she doesn't discipline the cat. So, if dogs, cats, and other things are not under our control, is the Bible mistaken when it says that um, he has placed all things under his feet, under our feet, presumably? Let's see what the book of Hebrews has to say. Hebrews chapter 2, verses 5 through 9. It says... For it was not to angels that God subjected the world to come, of which we are speaking. It has been testified somewhere, and of course the somewhere is uh, Psalm 8. They didn't have uh, scripture uh, verses like we have in our Bibles. So he says, it has been testified somewhere. What is man that you are mindful of him, or the son of man that you care for him? You made him a little lower than the angels. You have crowned him with glory and honor, putting everything in subjection under his feet. Now, in putting everything in subjection to him, he has left nothing outside his control. At present, we do not see uh, we do not yet see everything in subjection to him, but we see him who for a little while was made lower than the angels, namely Jesus, who is crowned with glory and honor because of the suffering of death so that by the grace of God he might taste death for everyone. The writer of Hebrews recognizes the ultimate subject of Psalm 8 is the Lord Jesus Christ. Because of Jesus' willingness to assume human flesh. Because of Jesus' willingness to be made a little lower than the angels. Even though He's the creator of the angels. Even though His glory is higher than heaven, the heavens itself. He has been crowned with glory and honor because He suffered death for sinners like you and like me. He suffered death. So that sinners like us might share in his glory. I stopped reading in verse 9 of Hebrews uh, 2. Listen to verses 10 and 11. For it was fitting that he for whom and by whom all things exist in bringing many sons to glory should make the founder of their salvation perfect through suffering. For he who sanctifies and those who are sanctified all have one source. That is why he is not ashamed to call them 
brothers or sisters, as the case may be. He has brought us to glory. We share in His glory. We are not, we are not yet everything we will be. Life is not free from its hardships. Life is not free from its devil cats. Things don't often go as we plan them. We can't always pay the bills. But brothers and sisters, we have Jesus. He has overcome. He is presently ruling and reigning. And He loves us dearly. He is not ashamed to call us his brother or his sister. He is your hope. He is your confidence. You can face each hardship knowing that there's a glory awaiting you that will far exceed your most marvelous dream or expectation. It is certain because Christ has already attained it and secured it for you. As we pray together. Lord Jesus, as you are seated seated at the Father's right hand, all things truly are placed underneath your feet. We are underneath your feet. You are ruling and reigning over us, and we gladly wear your yoke around our necks. Lord, I ask that you would help us to have that hope that Christ has attained our glory already, so that whatever comes our way, whether it be a debilitating uh, sickness or hardship or accident that uh, has turned our world upside down, help us to keep our eyes fixed on Jesus, knowing He loves us. We ask in His name. Amen.